Wow, what a blessing. Wish I could package this song service and take it up to some of those northerners <laughs> and let them know you can rejoice in the Lord. I really mean it. I really do. I love it that you're free to smile, uh, that you're free to sing out, that you're not stilted. You're actually into what you're doing. And notice that my foot and Pastor's foot were both doing the same thing. <laughs> I thought, wow, this is great. My Chicago foot's doing this. <laughs> and now, of course, Michigan, but nonetheless. And uh, I love that you're free to raise your hand. You know, the Bible commands us actually to do that in Psalm 134. That passage liberated me a couple of years ago. Uh, because everybody had their head bowed. Then I'm glad. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I uh, appreciate it. And I'm glad that you're free to add a few extra notes along the way. That's really neat because you're into it. You know, bless the Lord. God wants us to sing praises to his name. Not, not in just a rigid straitjacket, but just, you know, a freedom that comes with the liberty that the Spirit gives. And uh, I've just enjoyed this so, so much. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in your Bibles. We'll get there in a moment. Let me mention a few more books at the table. Um, last night's message is largely encompassed in this little book called Experiencing Jesus. Now, this is coming at it from the angle of Galatians 2.20, but it's the, uh, essentially the same truth. So last night we talked about the old man, the new man, and that old sin master and dwelling sin, and then the new leader, the Holy Spirit. And some of that can get a little detailed along the way, but we do have diagrams that seek to picture that. Here's a picture of the cross coming in. Uh, when we died with Christ, then there is that separation, we, that death to sin. And so we have uh, diagrams and pictures throughout the book. So if you need a picture to get you through a book, this is the one. <laughs> but, uh, at any rate, uh, it also goes into some of Satan's lies that hinder us and the truth that sets free. Uh, then there's a larger book called The Revived Life. This to be a thorough progression of truth on what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. Can you be saved and know it? Amen. Sure, based on sure words. So can you be clean and know it? Yes, based on sure words. So can you be filled and know it? Absolutely based on sure words. So we're walking through that progression of truth uh, and uh, uh, going into uh, the amazing cleansing of the blood, the enabling of the spirit, the uh, uh, throne seat authority, how we access that. And uh, the message that we're gonna deal with tonight is actually emphasized in one of the chapters there in uh, this book. And then one other book I wanted to mention uh, tonight is called The Liberating Life of Jesus. The subtitle says, Finding Freedom in Christ Between the Two Extremes of Law and license. Now the law is holy and just and good. It is the tutor that shows people they don't need the law and you need Jesus. But once you put your faith in Jesus, Galatians 3.24, the next verse says you're no longer under that tutor because the Holy Spirit moves in, Galatians 4.6. And he becomes the new leader. And so what happens is, if we still look to the law as the leader, the law has no power to enable, and we default back to self-dependence. It kills us. Uh, so some people find that that isn't working, so they chuck it all, and they end up in a relativism. That's the other side of the fence. And they become a law unto themselves. Every man doing that which is right in his own eyes in the name of liberty. That misses it too. Between those two extremes of law and license is a person. His name is Jesus. He is the liberating life. And when you access him, you access Christian liberty himself. 
And uh, so this is going to that in uh, great detail. And uh, there's also some hybrids I've noticed across the country uh, where part of the truth is embraced, and then another part is not, and it produces a hybrid that still eclipses people from really accessing the life of Jesus. And so we go into that detail as well. Well, good to see you here on this Tuesday night. Now, Sunday morning, we looked at the matter of being aglow with Jesus. And uh, uh, my voice is much better, but there was a squeak, but feel free to laugh. <laughs> it's way better, though. I'm really thrilled, man. I could tell late afternoon, okay, it's getting better. This is wonderful. Uh, but uh, we talked about the being aglow with Jesus, where the Spirit animates us with the very divine radiance of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. It's the beauty of Jesus shining through us. That is true holiness. Uh, with all of his uh, character that we find in the fruit of the Spirit. And then uh, we uh, noticed that God's economy Sunday night, that the system that God set up is that God stirs us with his truth. It's the word of the Spirit. Then faith must respond. When faith does respond, then God works according to the truth that we're trusting him for. So last night we looked at some of that truth. And we saw the amazing reality from Galatians 3 that the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you were baptized into Jesus. You're in him. And you have put on Jesus as he placed his spirit into you. You're clothed with Jesus. We saw that when you're placed into Jesus, you're placed into his death and resurrection. And so that's when we saw that in our inner being, our spirit, the unregenerated spirit called the old man that was joined to that sin master in dwelling sin, that's when we died with Christ unto sin. There was a cut. There was a separation. We were freed from sin, Romans 6, 7. Now, that part of us was raised the new man. So there's the regenerated spirit. The unregenerated spirit is gone, and now we have the regenerated spirit. That's the new man, and that's where the Holy Spirit moved in. However, we noted last night that indwelling sin, the guy we used to be chained to, Though we got severed from him, he still hangs around in our soul and body level. Yes. That's why we have trouble. <laughs> and so there's your battle between the flesh and the spirit that Galatians 5.17 talks about. So the flesh is the turf where that old sin master seeks to operate. And uh, then there's the spirit, which is our regenerated spirit joined to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that means we have a choice of which leader or master we will serve when we make the right choice we experience the victorious life of jesus himself when we make the wrong choice we crash and burn really fast even though we have all of the provision you think about it it is a sinless provision his name is jesus he lives in you but it's not sinless perfection because we don't always yield to him so sadly our exercise of faith is not perfect but the provision is, and the more we believe that, the more our faith is built to actually trust in that provision. So in that light, let's take that truth and apply it to the nitty-gritty of day-in, day-out life when we are hit with temptations. Let's look at the text. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You may think that you're the only one that faces the temptations you face. That is not true. Others have the same battles. I remember a man in Indiana, he said, I thought I was the only one that had the issues I had. <laughs> no, no, here, here, there's, there's, there's bukus, <laughs> uh, as some would say, uh, that have the same. So in other words, you're not weird. 
Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> oh, whatever you're tempted with, you're not the only one. It's common to man. Let's go read on. But God is, not will be, is faithful. That's more than a promise. That's a fact. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above or beyond that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, that phrase, make a way to escape, technically in the original language, has a definite article before the word way. That's the word the. You know what the text is saying? God makes the way to escape. Why is that important? Because the way of escape is not a formula. It's not an it. The way of escape is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, it all comes together. And so tonight I want to speak on Jesus, the way of escape. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would show us the privilege of this relationship with the way of escape, himself. And Lord, may we so fall in love with Jesus that when temptation hits us, we choose Jesus. And Lord, I pray you use truth tonight to set free, to free from bondage, to free from those areas that just seem to enslave. Lord, to allow our practice to match both our position and our provision that we saw last night. And so, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus. Protect us from the attack of the enemy who certainly doesn't want us to get this. So, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you on the throne far above the enemy. In your name that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder at this time and trust you that that simply not be allowed. Lord, breathe on us tonight. Free people tonight. Build faith in you, our way of escape. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 19, uh, the uh, late 1960s, our family was taking a vacation. We had uh, moved uh, from Colorado to Chicago. That was a big bummer. Uh, but we were taking a vacation back to Colorado. And when you uh, head out west, uh, you hit that Denver, and then you go on Highway 160 that takes you southwest through and over some mountain ranges down into Durango, Colorado. That's where I was born. And uh, you have to cross a uh, mountain pass called Wolf Creek Pass. Now, the way I remember this as a kid, I, it's, it's very different today, it's a four-lane highway. Uh, it's, it's much different, but the way I remember it as a kid, it was a narrow two-lane road climbing up those high mountains. And the road was so narrow that there were no shoulders to speak of, which meant there were no guardrails. Not that they're going to help anyway if you lose your brakes on the downhill, but they're somewhat comforting to see that piece of metal out there. <laughs> and often when I would look out the window, you couldn't see the edge. And you're looking down a thousand feet or whatever it was. Well, um, we were driving in a station wagon. Now, I realize the young people don't know what a station wagon is. <laughs> you can ask your grandparents, they'll tell you. But uh, at any rate, uh, we were in a station wagon. I, and number four in a lineup of five siblings, so I was relegated to the back. And we began, Dad began to drive, and we began to wind up 
Wolf Creek Pass. And uh, some of the older siblings were making comments with the intended purpose of scaring the younger siblings, and it was working. <laughs> and so I was scared. And when we were on the inside lane next to the mountain wall, that was a little bit, a little bit comforting. When we were on the outside lane, and you looked out, and you can't see the edge, and you're looking straight down a thousand feet, it was not comforting. <laughs> well, we uh, were winding our way through and up, and then finally we crested the top and uh, began to make our way down the other side. Now, of course, you know this here, the uh, mountains of North Georgia, in mountains, they have strategically placed escape ramps. And uh, that way, those who have heavy weight, especially the 18-wheelers, uh, even uh, others who have a lot of weight. I had a trailer for 10 years that was 20,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight uh, that we pulled. And uh, you know, on the downhill, if you lost your brakes, I mean, that weight just is shoving you down so fast that you know, you'd hit a curve and it would throw you right off, that kind of thing. So they have the escape ramps. Well, we were in that section of the mountains when suddenly my parents and the older siblings gasped with a gasp of horror that I knew was no longer a joke. I saw everyone looking a certain direction, so I stuck my little face in the window and followed the line of gaze. And I'm guessing when I say down in the ravine, a thousand feet down, whatever it was, it's way down there, there was an 18-wheeler just smashed and crumpled like a piece of tinfoil. I would imagine that driver got killed. I wonder if it's because he didn't take the way of escape. You know, life, in a sense, is a road. And sometimes it's mountainous. And sometimes it's dangerous. And sometimes things hit us. And we're told in this text that God faithfully provides the way escape and we must learn to have this relationship with Jesus so that we always take Jesus and experience him as our way of escape. Now as we consider this tonight how does this play out? I want us to see we're going to refer to a few other passages of scripture we'll come back to our text later on but there is specific truth in Jesus which helps us understand how to apply the way of escape. In other words, it says here God will make the way of escape. In other words, the way of escape, in a sense, we might say is customized. That is, the truth as it is in Jesus is customized to fit the kind of temptation that we are presently facing. Now, broadly speaking, temptation hits us from the world, the flesh, and or the devil. But specifically, there are three approaches that the world, the flesh, and the devil take. And there is specific truth in Jesus that we must learn to take as we take him to face that particular kind of temptation that has attacked us or approached us. First of all, the first approach of temptation, this is the most obvious, is temptation that approaches us in the physical realm. You're tempted, and you can see it, or hear it, or feel it, or smell it. <laughs> in other words, it is in the sensory realm. It's apparent. You know exactly where it's coming from. So 
these would not be direct attacks from the enemy. Rather, these would be indirect attacks through worldly or fleshly snares. Uh, I have a meeting that I often go to in southwest Wisconsin at the uh, Dairy Hills of Wisconsin. Uh, and uh, there's a pastor farmer up there who uh, has uh, uh, a neat farm and he has uh, traps and snares and they, you know, he's got all these skins hanging and it's really cool. But uh, um, he was showing me how the traps work, how the snares work. Well, I'm a city boy and you know, it was fascinating for me. I still don't understand all the details, but I did figure out that when, they tr when, the, you know, when the trapper sets the trap, he doesn't sit down right next to it with his lunch waiting for the animal to come. No, he leaves the trap, goes his way, comes back later to see what he's caught. Satan is a master hunter. And his cohorts, as it were, set traps and snares all throughout our world system, which they know from millenniums of experience appeal to our flesh. So that that old sin master, even though we're severed from him, says, go forth, and we feel that pull. Okay. They set the traps, but it does not necessarily mean that a demon is sitting there. They go their way, as it were, come back later to see who they've caught. Um, for example, how about a billboard? You drive through Atlanta, you're going to see some billboards that are very helpful. Okay, there's Cracker Barrel over here, whatever. There's going to be some that could trigger temptation. In some cases, just to sheer covetousness. In other cases, to a vice or an addiction, or in some cases to impurity. And when that happens, you know where it's coming from, you can see it. Isn't Satan a master at using pictures to trigger temptation? Whether it's on a billboard, or a poster on a store window, or on a handheld device. And immediately, where that trigger uh, is confronting you, you feel the pull. The pull that you feel is indwelling sin. You're severed from him. You're not joined to him. You're not forced to bow to him. But he's saying, go for it. See, if you didn't have that pull, it wouldn't be temptation. So that's how it works. But my point is, you can see where it's coming from. How about an irritating circumstance? Ever have one of those? <laughs> I remember a guy one time, all fellowshipping out of house, you know, and uh, eating, and he was taking his plate back to the kitchen, and uh, he rounded uh, the corner, and there was a, a sofa table that uh, was by the entrance, and it had a pointed corner about mid-thigh, <laughs> and he wasn't watching, and it went in about maybe two inches, <laughs> I don't know, but it went enough that I saw his face do one of these, uh-oh, and then his body slink around the corner so that his face could do what it really wanted to do. <laughs> now, when we have that kind of irritating circumstances, it tempts us to get ticked, maybe to say things we shouldn't say, maybe to, think, maybe to make some things airborne that don't have wings. Ah, oh, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so on. So when that happens again, it's apparent. You hit the corner of the table. How about an abrasive comment that somebody makes? Just kind of mean. Yeah, it just, it's just triggers the temptation to respond with a harsh word or with derogatory sarcasm. And you're good at it, which took practice. 
But all of that temptation is, you know where it's coming from. You can hear it, you can feel it, you can see it. So what do we do? All right, let's tap into what we saw last night. Jesus is in you. See, your spirit was regenerated with his divine nature. That's the new man, the new creation. And bigger than that is that the Holy Spirit moved in, bringing the throne life of Jesus right into you. We're raised with him, according to Romans 7, 4, that we might be married, joined to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, indicating that the Spirit is bringing the risen, enthroned Christ right into us. There's our life stream that we were talking about last night. See, that's the provision. It's summed up in Galatians 2.20. Christ lives in me. Doesn't say will live. It's not out there. It's right here. He is living in me. That is true for every child of God in this room, regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of how long you've been right with God. He's in you right now. But the end of the verse says, by faith. And see, without faith, accessing him, we miss out on the full benefits. We hide him. We block the glow that we saw Sunday morning. And so Christ lives in us, but by faith we access him. And when we do, there is what the old writers, uh, some of the writers from the fundamentals called the principle of counteraction kicks in. For example, Romans 8, verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So you have two laws there. There's the law of the spirit of life in Christ, and then there's the law of sin. The law of sin is that old sin master. That bent, that sin principle. Uh, we have Charles Wesley in one of a song called The Bent to Sinning. Okay, that's the indwelling sin master. Okay, he's there. He's trying to get us to bow to him. But when we bow to Jesus, the law of the spirit of life in Christ frees us from the law of sin and death. Doesn't mean the law of sin and death is no longer there, but a greater law counteracts and overcomes that lesser law, so that if ye, through the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. You see, when there's the faith that yields to his leadership and power that he imparts to you, the victorious life of Christ. And friends, when you have that life imparted to you, he doesn't have bad habits. Whatever the sin issue is, it's not an issue for him. You access him and his life overcomes. He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So we have Jesus in us so that by faith we access his overcoming life. What a stunning provision for every child of God. Now, our responsibility is to appropriate the provision. You say, what in the world does it mean to appropriate? It means to take. You say, why didn't you just say Take. Because appropriate sounding good, don't you think? But it, it simply means to take the provision that Christ is living in. See, if somebody handed you a $100 bill after the service, said, I want to give this to you. If you're smart, what would you do? Take it. And if you're courteous, what would you say? Thank you. And that thank you means you believe you have received. Okay, so in the same way, Christ is living in us. Thanks be to God who is giving us the victory. Jesus, same truth. So if he is giving, we have the privilege to be taking. And that's why it says, thanks be unto God. Take, thank you, Lord. And friends, when you have taken by faith what he's giving, then you experience his divine victorious life. 
It's just as real as the $100 bill. The only difference is, is that that is physical and this is spiritual. But it's just as real. It's that practical. That's how this works. We are taking his uh, life that's being lived in you. You're taking what is being provided, trusting now him for the power to obey. And now his life is imparted to you. And it's not you trying to do this on your own. It's not you just grit your teeth and just obey. It's trusting. It's taking so that you have his power to obey. And thus the song, Trust and Obey. Take and act. There it is. Trust to obey. Now, appropriation is something that we all do when we go to the bank. Let's suppose you go to the bank and let's suppose you actually have some money in your checking account. What would happen if you went into your bank and instead of doing the normal process, you just went up there and gave a speech as to why that bank should give you some money? <laughs> let's suppose you wax eloquent. Let's suppose you shed tears. Well, it wouldn't be very long and they would be ushering you out. But as long as you've got that little piece of paper that has your account number, the right information, you get to appropriate what is already yours so that you can act on it. Take, act, spend it. <laughs> now, when you got saved, the bank account of heaven moved in. His name is Jesus. And unlike our checking accounts, when you withdraw from him, he doesn't diminish. But we do in Christ. You see, we get to take what is already ours in Christ so that we can spend it, so that we can act on it, so that his life will counteract and overcome that temptation that we're facing in that moment of trigger. That's what we're talking about. You see, and when you access his life, it counteracts and overcomes that world and flesh issue. Now, I'm nearsighted, so if I take off my glasses... You have a wonderful opportunity to go to sleep <laughs> without my knowing it. Uh, without my glasses, everything's a blur. I can see that there's bodies out here. I can see that your bodies have heads. <laughs> but everything else is blurred. I can't see if your eyes are open or closed. But if I put on my glasses, then the law of corrective lenses, we might say, counteracts and overcomes the law of nearsightedness. I can see clearly. But it doesn't cure me once and for all because if I stop depending on my glasses, everything's a blur again. But as long as I keep depending, there's our faith word, on the glasses, the law of corrective lenses keeps counteracting and overcoming the law of nearsightedness so that I can see clearly. And by the way, it is amazing what preachers see when they preach. You know, we ought to write some books on this. Sometimes, you know, by the way, has it ever occurred to you that just as you can sit out there and look up here and see us, we can stand up here and look out there and see you. <laughs> I'm amazed at what some people do while we're preaching. I mean, they should be embarrassed. I can't even tell you. <laughs> anyway, so back to our truth. When you access Jesus, he's like the law of corrective lenses that counteracts and overcomes. But it's not a once-for-all second blessing cure because if we stop depending on him, then things get messy again. But as long as we keep depending on Jesus, he counteracts and overcomes. Do you see it? That's the provision. This is how God set it up to work. And so when God stirs us, wow, that's the truth. Now we can respond 
And when we take, then he empowers us, and now we can obey, and it's not, it's not just us. It's his divine life, and that's when we experience his victory. So here's the billboard. Here's the temptation, let's say, for example, to think impurely, and we can just take Jesus. Again, this is not a formula. It's a relationship with a person. If you don't have that down, if you just formulaic about it, then you won't want Jesus when you're tempted. But when you're walking with Jesus, and here's this temptation that's just as real as ever, you can just say, thank you, Jesus. And he frees you to act on it. He frees you to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. Now, I want you to think with me. In the strength of the flesh, we can say, oh, that's bad. Don't look over there. Neck turn this way while heart stays that way. That's not victory. That's imitation. But when you take Jesus, thank you, Jesus. It's not a mantra of words. It's a transaction of trust with a person. And he frees you to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. Do you realize that if that's true, and it is, then you can go through your workplace and experience victory. You can take Jesus. You can take grace. His spirit enabling you with his life. And whether it's the marketplace or the workplace, we are in this world. We're not to be of it. And that's how we can come out unscathed at the end of the day. We ignore him. Down we go. Crash and burn. But you take him. He doesn't crash and burn. He doesn't have bad habits. You see, the irritating circumstance, we can take him and he imparts to us his character and in that character, the fruit of the spirit is love, which includes a number of things, including patience. There you go. You know what's neat about this? You don't have to ask for it. Now, promises you need to ask for because they're the will-bees and the shell-bees, and if they are will-bees, then that means they're out there somewhere. Are you with me? But if it's an is, like Christ is living in me, you don't have to ask for it. You need to take it. If you ask for what already it is, then it means you don't believe it is. And God's merciful. When we're asking when we should be taking, he says, you know, it's already there, so why don't you just go ahead and take it? So you can get there. But you know what? You can save a lot of time if you get this. When it's a fact, when it's more than a promise, when it's in the present tense, is... You can take it. And by the way, when you need patience, ironically, you need it now. <laughs> and thanks be to God who has given us the victory. So let's take. Thank you, Jesus. And he imparts to us his patience. The abrasive comment. I was talking to a lady one time after a service, and she was being very ugly. I'm not saying she was ugly. I'm saying she was being ugly. <laughs> and... Uh, and I remember, you know, the temptation was to just look down on, just condescend. I mean, she was being mean. I'm thinking, good grief, I'm standing here, you know, I think, you know, <laughs> but whatever. And uh, so you're just very tempted to condescend. I remember in my heart just saying, your love, Lord. And immediately, my whole perspective toward the lady was radically changed as the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. I'm going to tell you something. Apart from Jesus, I cannot do that. But he can. So... That's how we deal with temptation that approaches us in the physical realm. But not all temptation comes from the physical realm. There's also temptation that approaches through the spiritual realm. In other words, you're tempted, but you can't see a picture. 
you can't feel the corner of a table or whatever the case may be. That means that these are direct attacks from the enemy right into your soul, primarily your mind and or your emotions. The Bible calls these fiery darts, Ephesians chapter 6, where there's just temptation and you're thinking, where did that come from? You can't see it. It's not apparent, but it's very real. Okay, that's what we're talking about, the fiery dart. You ever found yourself in a bad mood? I said that one time and everybody looked at a certain person. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself in a bad mood and you, you can't figure out why? It's a fiery dart. How about when you're at work or at home and you're thinking about something and you're working away and all of a sudden these maybe wicked thoughts come through your brain and it's not like you're at the beach? It's a fiery dart. Ever felt dull spiritually and you've asked the Lord, is there a sin in my life that's making me dull spiritually and he doesn't bring anything to mind? That means it's not sin. It's a fiery dart. So we need to learn to recognize what's happening here. Sometimes excessive fear, excessive worry. These are big things in our world today. So what's the truth? Well, it's still Jesus, but it's a specific truth. When it's the flesh and the world, it's Christ in us to deal with down here. But when it's the fiery darts in that unseen spiritual realm, it's the truth of you in Christ. We saw that last night as well. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were baptized into Jesus. Okay, so yes, you were clothed with Jesus. Yes, you moved in, but you are also in him. And friends, this is a marvelous truth that's emphasized in the New Testament 242 times, 216 times in the Pauline epistles that you are in Christ. And that is not figurative. It's literal. It's just that it's spiritual, not physical. Physically, we're right here in Houston, Georgia. Spiritually, you're in Christ. And where is he? According to Ephesians 1, he's seated on the right hand of the are above all principality and power and you're in him. And Ephesians 2 verse 6 says beautifully and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. That's the spiritual realm. Because that same phrase is translated in chapter 6 of the enemy spiritual host of wickedness in high places. Same phrase that's translated heavenly places. See it's a realm and in that realm Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father far above. See it's the same realm far above all principality and power, but we're in him. And therefore, we are raised together and seated together in that spiritual realm in Christ. So Ruth Paxson, missionary to China, 1930s, puts it this way. I love this. In Christ, we are as far above the power of Satan as Christ is. And when that truth sinks in, you can shout hallelujah. Because it's true. That means we can lift up the shield of faith. Based on the fact that we're in him on the throne far above the enemy. And that puts out all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In other words... That shield of faith quenches, it extinguishes, it counterattacks and overrules the enemy. Why? Because Christ sits far above. And we're told 
that of course at the cross, that's when Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled and the seed of uh, the woman bruised the head of the serpent, that happened at the cross. So Satan's head has been bruised and according to John 16.11, that's when Satan was judged and according to John 12, that's when he was cast out. According to Colossians 2.15, that's when he was spoiled, disarmed. And according to Hebrews 2.15, that's when he was deprived of his power. Jesus through death destroyed. There's your same word that we saw in Romans 6, 6 last night. Deprived of his power. Now friends, all of that for us is past tense. Now, the full victory of Jesus over Satan will be fully manifested in, as we read in the book of Revelation. I understand that. But we got to get something. You know that in the spiritual realm, which is the realm we're talking about right now, that even right now, Satan's at a disadvantage. You know why? Because in that realm, he is totally defeated. When Jesus said it is finished, he won the victory. Satan's head was crushed. He was judged. He was cast out. He was disarmed. And friends, any child of God, regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been saved, and regardless of how long you've been right with God, as long as you are right with God, you can access this provision. And it is glorious uh, what can happen because now we can appropriate, there's that word again, we can take the reality of being in Christ on the throne. And friends, the throne means authority. And Ephesians 1 says in that same passage that he's the head, it's his authority, we're the body, we get to exercise it. Now, can a body function without a head? No, I've seen a few chickens try <laughs> on that ranch there in Durango. When their head was chopped off, they ran around. But their bodies eventually dropped. So a body cannot function without a head. Let me ask you another question. Can a head function without a body? No. Now God is sovereign. He could have done this however he wanted to. But in his sovereign wisdom and plan, the imagery We're the body. We are responsible to exercise it. But that's our privilege. You see, just as we as the body cannot function without him as the head, he as the head has chosen not to function without us as the body. This isn't robotic. Remember the economy. God stirs you with the truth. Now respond in faith, and then you'll see all of this play out. That's the provision we have. And it's a delegated authority. It's his authority, not ours, but we must exercise it. Uh, John McMillan, again, missionary to China, 1930, wrote a book called The Authority of the Believer. He uses the illustration of a police officer in uniform directing traffic, and here comes a truck that you know could obviously flatten him. Now, physically, he doesn't have the power to stop that truck. But because of that badge, he has power <laughs> to stop that truck. And friends, in like fashion, on our own, we're no match against Satan. But we're not on our own. We are in Christ. He is the head. We are the body. And we can submit ourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil. 
he has to turn around and go the other way. He will flee from me. That's what it says. And this is true for any child of God, regardless of your age, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of how mature you are, regardless of how long you've been right with God. Friend, when you submit yourself to God, in other words, if there is sin in your life, get it right, then you can immediately submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he has to flee. It's what the Bible says. And so we can exercise throne seat authority to counterattack, you see, to quench. You see, it doesn't just deflect the fiery darts. It puts them out. That's vital. So let's take a, a few examples of application. Suppose you wake up in the morning. You read your Bible and you pray and you don't just go through the ritual. You meet with God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful when God speaks to you and you know it? You just, you know, see your heart is full. <laughs> so, you know, you're whistling and you go to work. And about three hours later, the thought occurs to you, man, I really feel discouraged. Okay, stop and ask yourself. We've got to figure out which realm. We've got to figure out where the attack is so we can apply the specific truth. So you can ask yourself, okay, did anything happen that would tempt me to feel discouraged. Oh yeah, I just got fired. <laughs> okay, well go back to the first truth. But if there's nothing that happened and you feel discouraged, it's not physical, it's spiritual. Wow, how many dark moods do we not recognize as coming directly from the enemy? And friends, once you recognize it, you can say, wait a second, I've claimed my position in Jesus. See, that's taking the truth that you're in him. And I reject that. That's lifting up the shield of faith. And when you do, the fiery dart vanishes. And there's a discernible lift in your spirit as the freedom of Jesus envelops you. Friends, this is a marvelous reality. See, you're submitting yourself to God. You're resisting the devil. He's got to go the other way. How about spiritual dullness? I was in a meeting in Pennsylvania. Two guys were complaining Sunday night. Yeah, we read our Bibles and pray because we're supposed to, but man, it's really boring lately. I appreciated their honesty. I said, well, have you asked the Lord if there's any sin issue? Yeah, yeah, but there's, you didn't bring anything to mind. I said, guys, that means it's not a sin issue. Because if you ask him to search your heart, he will. If it's a sin issue, he'll show you. So if nothing comes to mind, then it's a fiery duck. I'll begin to explain to them what we're talking about tonight. At the end of that week, both those guys gave a testimony publicly that they claimed their position in Jesus and they rejected that dullness. And both of them testified that immediately freedom came and that every day that week they reveled in their time with God. It's beautiful. See, this is real. How about the wrong thoughts? You're sitting here and you're working on something and all of a sudden these other mild thoughts come rolling across your brain. recognize, wait a second, I'm not at the mall, I'm not at some place where there might be triggers. This is the enemy. Take Jesus and the fact that you're in him. See, I claim my union with Jesus. I reject this. Now, you don't have to get all, okay, what did the preacher say? What do I got to do? You just take Jesus. <laughs> See, it's the relationship with the person. That's the key. And you immediately experience his victorious life. There's one other approach that temptation takes, and that is when both physical and spiritual are combined. Sometimes there is a matter in the physical realm, but it's magnified, it's distorted, it's made excessive in the spiritual realm. 
distortion. So suppose somebody says something to you and it was, it was a bit unkind, they shouldn't have said it, but quite frankly, it's just a bump in the road. But what if in the unseen realm, a magnifying glass is put over that bump in the road and you don't see it as a little bump in the road, you see it as a I'm going to tell you, if we don't recognize what's going on, if we get calm, it might draw a fury out of us that a mountain-sized defense could draw, and everybody else is going to be thinking, man, what's the matter with you over here? What's the you see, don't you think that's at the bottom of a lot of church splits? Distortion. Excessive fear. Maybe there's something that could make you afraid, but it gets excessive. See, excessiveness is a sign of the enemy. Excessive anger. Recognize it. Remember one time I was stewing mad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Southerners, you would know that. Stewing mad, okay. And I mean, I was spitting mad. <laughs> you know, I'm just, you know, just, uh. And then I stopped and asked myself, okay, what am I mad about? It was something so small. Oh, man. Now I'll pray to that dispersion thing, and I preach on this stuff. You see, learn to recognize this. And so sometimes it's excessive distraction. I was getting ready to go overseas one time, and my son and I were getting our hair cut. He was young at the time, so I had him in the chair first. I would always do that first in case the barber was bad, and then we'd go somewhere else. <laughs> he finally figured it out. But uh, at any rate, uh, we were in this barber shop, and, and uh, he's getting his hair cut, and I was trying to study because I, I had to go overseas, and I didn't want to bring certain books, and maybe get something done. And you know barbershops, they usually have TV on, and usually it's a ball game or a fishing show or something. Well, this particular shop, you know, I'm in a different one all the time, it was wicked. Thankfully, my son's chair was facing out the window, and I'm thinking, oh, good night. You know, and you take Jesus, and you get back to your work, and then, you know, I'm studying away, and I shift my weight because I'm just antsy. It's just the way I'm wired. And, oh, there it is again. Well, after about the fifth time, I thought, this is a pain in the neck. Because, you know, it breaks your distraction. And even though Jesus, you know, you take Jesus and you freeze you get back, you lost all that time. I thought, you know, I had just learned this truth. I thought, we have something in the physical realm. There's a TV over here. But I thought, I wonder if there is something in the spiritual realm as to why that's playing right now because that's not normally what plays in a barbershop. So I didn't know. So if you don't know, don't act like you're for sure because you don't want to give ground that's not there but just say, if. I said, Lord, and I, of course, didn't say it out loud. I'm just sitting there. There's other people. I said, Lord, if Satan is directly behind that show being on right now, I claim my position in you. See, that's taken. And I reject Satan's attack. That's acting on it. At that moment, the barber had one of those electric shavers, and he's going off the back of a guy's head, you know, and barbers, are, you know, they're calm, and they're talking away, you know. He's just doing this, and at that moment, both of his arms began to visibly tremble. And he pulled away. I never did check the back of the guy's neck. <laughs> <laughs> and trembling, he put that shaver down on the counter, grabbed the remote control, and changed that channel to something decent. And I wanted to shout hallelujah. Because <laughs> God stepped in. So there is our customized provision. Let me just mention a couple of takeaways, if I may, and we'll be through. Getting back to the text. Do you know that the way of escape is time sensitive? 
This is fascinating. As we read, temptations common to man, God's faithful, will not uh, allow you to be tempted above that you're able. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt tempted above that you're able? Let's just get honest. Has it ever seemed overwhelming? Has it ever seemed like, man, I don't feel like I have a choice? Well, if we're honest, yeah, there are times, but we don't want to say that because the text just said, wait a second. Okay, look at the last part of the verse. But will with the temptation, see there's a timing, also make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So when do you have the opportunity to take Jesus? It's when you're tempted. See, there is that window of opportunity. There's the escape ramp. And if you pass it up, you pass it up. Now, somebody asked, well, how much time do you have? Well, there's an old preacher who says you got four seconds. <laughs> He's probably about right. Because you do have enough time. And so what happens is, you know, you're tempted the trigger, you, you know, the old sin master that you're not joined to, but he's still there saying, hey, go for it, go for it. And you're saying, no, 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 I shouldn't do that. And so you got this little battle going on. Well, if you're not careful, you cross the four seconds. And pretty soon you're following after the temptation. But it may be of a nature that you have not committed or played out the outward act yet. That's when it's going to seem overwhelming. That's when it's going to seem like you don't have a choice. It's because when you did have a choice, you made the wrong choice. See, it's time sensitive. Second takeaway. I love this. This was life changing for me about 20 years ago. The way of escape is preventative. See, to escape, that means then this is a matter of prevention, not correction. Let me ask you a question Is temptation itself sin? Okay. You're right. He said no. <coughs> then why do we often confess our sin when we're tempted? We say the right thing with our mind, but what we really believe is something else. Because we all act out what we really believe. And friends, if you're tempted and you think, oh, how could that even be in my mind? God, forgive me. Then what you really believe is that temptation itself is sin. But it's not. Remember, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. That's why he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation, which means it's not sin unless you enter into it. Okay, so here's the point. If it's a matter of escape, it's not a matter of confession. See, confession is for those times when you didn't take Jesus, when you yielded to the flesh and you crashed and burned. Then obviously, yeah then you need to confess. But friends, temptation itself is not sin. This truth alone can be liberating. And here's, the, here's why this is so important. Do you realize if you're tempted, but you have not entered the temptation, and you confess it, you just entered the temptation. Because you owned it. You just said, well, that's me. It wasn't you. And the moment you owned it, instead of being relief, because you're confessing, you go down instead of up. I used to do that all day long because <laughs> there's lots of temptations out there. And confess, 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 and by the end of the day, you're pummeled. See, it's not a matter of confession, it's a matter of rejection. You see, 
If it's a fiery dart, it's not you. If it's a snare or a trap in the world, it's not you. And if it's indwelling sin that you used to be joined to, but you got severed from, and now you're the new man joined to Jesus, that pull inside is not the real you. And that's why we have the privilege of saying, hey, that's not me. I don't care what I feel. That's not me. I reject that. I take Jesus. And the moment you do, you experience the victorious life himself. And not only that, the way of escape is trustworthy. God is faithful. He's trustworthy in his availability and trustworthy in his dependability. So may we always learn to take Jesus as our way of escape. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. And I really do mean that. And I do not know what time it is because my watch broke. So thank you if I have gone too long. I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, God's speaking to me. This is making sense. There's some areas where I just get pummeled so many times, and I see now that there's hope. And God's stirring me about applying the truth about a specific area. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, God bless you. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you know, over here, God bless you, amen. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you know, the fiery dart thing, I didn't realize that's a different deal. Back to we're in Christ, far above the enemy. This could be life-changing. I wonder who's a preacher. I'm connecting some dots. God's opening my eyes. That's going to make a difference. Would you raise the hand, please? Sure. Amen. Many. Many. But friends, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, he's also the way of escape from hell. <laughs> he said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Is there anyone here tonight that say, preacher, if I died right now, I, as far as I know, I could be headed to hell. I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I don't know if I have eternal life. And if Jesus can not only save me from hell, but save me from temptation like we heard tonight, I want that Jesus. I wonder who would say, Preacher, that's me. I'm not yet saved. I need to put my faith in Jesus and be saved tonight. Anyone at all, would you raise the hand? Well, I'm going to ask the pianist to play. God's spoken to you. Take some time to talk to the Lord about what he's talking to you about. If you'd like, you can slip to your knees or slip up front. But whatever the case, talk to the Lord. And we'll close here in a moment. way just for a minute. Such good teaching. So good. I wonder if I could get you to do me a favor. I wonder if
between now and tomorrow night at this time, would you call five people within the church? Five people that aren't here tonight. And tell them how good this teaching is. And invite them to come tomorrow night. Would you do that? Because honestly, we should have been full these last few nights. The truths that have been taught, we should have been full. We, you and I can't do anything about that other than invite. But if you would take the time, you text, you call them, whatever, you, whatever your mode of communication, just five people, and invite them to come tomorrow night. And see if it doesn't make a difference. The teaching is going to make a difference for us who've heard it. Amen. Thankful that you were here tonight. So thankful that you all are here and hungry to hear. And, uh, uh, our church always does well in that area, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, these men come in and preach and teach, and they brag on the spirit of our church. I'm grateful for that. Thankful for that. And I'm glad that you were here tonight. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for these truths that we've heard tonight. Lord, I do pray that you would help, uh, Father, as we not only learn, uh, but, Lord, uh, comprehend and apply these truths. Father, I pray that you would help our church as we seek to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of yes, Lord Jesus amen. Christ. Yes, Lord. And Father, I pray, uh, God, that uh, you'd be honored uh, with all that you see glory would be revealed because of all that you see. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.